Hello and welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode 692. I'm Richard Jarrett and I'm recording this on Wednesday the 11th of May. Now, apologies to the listeners, it's just me. I'm going to fly solo on this one. The last week or so has been a bit hellish for both Jim and myself in terms of work stuff going along. So we weren't able to get together last week. And with the news breaking around the whole Suzuki picture in MotoGP, I thought possibly it would be worth hanging on to put out a show just before Le Mans in the hope that we might hear something official from Suzuki. But as of now, still no news officially. So we'll come to that in a little while. The intention, therefore, with this one is just to be a very, very quick catch up on news, a quick talk about Jerez, which was a great weekend of racing for those that saw it as i'm sure most of you did and also to have a quick look forward to le mans and of course talk about the big breaking news story from last week so for those of you with long memories this is going to be hopefully a little reminiscent of a 2005 bob hayes motopod episode that should be fairly short Obviously, the basis of the show is that Jim and I talk through stuff that's happened, themes, uh, any controversies, etc., etc. This time, it's just going to be me waxing lyrical about what's been going on. So just before we get going with the main order of business, a shout out and a huge thanks to Nick Saban and to Scott Sonter, both of whom donated to the show in the last few days. So thanks, guys. That's really appreciated. For anybody else that has a bit of spare change and can contribute to the show, which we always say helps to keep the lights on, keep the servers running, please head over to motopodcast.com. Head over to the left-hand side of the page and there you'll find the donate and subscribe buttons. Everything, as always, is appreciated. Thanks also for some feedback that we've had in the last few days. Now, because it's just me, I'm going to hold on to this stuff and we'll discuss it with Jim on the next show, which will hopefully be sometime towards the middle of next week once the Lamar MotoGP weekend is out of the way. But we've had some feedback and questions and comments from uh, Gary Shavit, Keith Kovac, and uh, from Darren and Boyce via Twitter. So lots of good stuff to get in and discuss there. So the news. There are various bits of news, but I'm going to concentrate on the one massive piece of news that broke. And again, this is something that we're obviously going to want to discuss in some detail uh, between Jim and myself. Feedback from you guys, of course, interested to hear everybody's views, thoughts, fears about this, because this is a significant one. So I don't suppose there's anybody that doesn't know this news that listens to the show. But for those that might have just missed it, it emerged unofficially on Monday last week, which was a test day for the MotoGP teams at Hareth following the weekend's races. The news broke that Suzuki or the board of Suzuki in Hamamatsu in Japan had, let's say, unilaterally decided to cease all MotoGP activities from the end of the 2022 season onwards. And as far as we know, there's no commitment like the last time they did this to come back at a set time in the future. As I said, I decided to hold on recording this quick solo podcast in the hope that we might see some sort of an official announcement from Suzuki. Now, last week in Japan was uh, pretty much the entire week was a public holiday. So the widespread belief was that Suzuki would make some kind of a formal press release, clarify the position and perhaps give some reasons for the decision. However, nothing has been forthcoming and one must assume that the rather strongly worded response that came out very quickly from Dorna, and quite understandably so, has put a pause on anything official coming out of Suzuki as I'm sure they're going to now be deadlocked into some fairly tetchy contract negotiations because we must consider and remember that it was only in April last year, so April 2021, that Suzuki put pen to paper and committed themselves to the MotoGP Championship for a further five years. 
So to now renege on that agreement is obviously going to result in some legalities and some fairly detailed contract negotiations in terms of compensation to Dorna and the various parties that are going to be most affected by all of this. So we don't know how that's going to go. Obviously, in the short term, the great concern and upset is with regards to the team personnel, all of the many, many hundreds of supply chain people that will be inevitably affected by all of this. And of course, to a lesser extent, I think, to be fair, the riders, because those guys are very handsomely paid and they will find rides elsewhere in the paddock. Of that, I'm very, very sure. It's certainly the case that the Rins and Mir position now blows the 2023 contract discussion wide open, really. There's lots of speculation about who's going to go where now and what that's going to do elsewhere in the paddock. Jim and I, as you will have heard on previous episodes, we're going to have a little bit of a speculative talk about 2023 rider lineup, and we're still going to do that. But this obviously throws a pretty major spanner into the works. I'm almost reluctant to speculate at the moment because there are just too few places in MotoGP for the amount of talent that is there to fill the bikes. And that's without even really considering people looking and needing to come up from Moto2. I think it's become clear from some of the things that I've read and heard that the two slots that Suzuki occupy on the grid are reserved for a manufacturer. So it's by no means clear and possibly not even going to be possible for an independent or customer team to just slot in. So there's been a lot of speculation online I've seen in the last couple of days about the likes of Leopard coming up and running a MotoGP outfit, potentially with Aprilia's or something like this. But as I understand it, currently that is not possible. Now, Dorna put out a fairly bullish statement saying that they have lots of interest from manufacturers and teams to take on these two spaces. So they might have to get creative with what they do with those two slots if they want to have those two bikes still on the grid. And certainly we don't want to lose two bikes from the grid. We obviously hope, all of us, that this is not the start of a bigger problem. Of course, COVID has affected everybody and manufacturers will obviously be feeling the pinch after several years of the disruption that's brought about. Add to that the Ukraine, which is is a situation that has occurred since Suzuki signed that five-year extension. But nevertheless, Dorna's position has been quite clear, which is that they can't just unilaterally make that decision to leave without any consequence. I guess this one's just going to run and run, everybody, and we'll just have to see how things go. Let Jim and I know what you think what your opinions and views are on all of this. It's a a messy situation. For what it's worth, I think Mir will probably end up on the Honda, although there's quite a lot of speculation linking him to a seat on the Works Aprilia team, which might come as a bit of a left-field suggestion, but it has a lot of merit. And as is his usual uh, performance, Maverick Vinales has chosen a particularly bad time to start making noises about looking for a better seat elsewhere, which was something that he said, I believe, in the run-up to or over the course of the uh, Jerez race weekend. Vinales, I think his time is coming to a close in MotoGP. He, despite some fairly fast individual laps on that bike, he cannot get it off the line. He gets mired at the back of the grid and he can never find his way through in the races. So Aprilia have a race-winning bike in the hands of Alesh Espargaro. We've seen that and he's a consistent podium finisher now. So they need somebody else on the other bike that's going to continue to do the same thing. So Amir and Aura Rins would certainly be a very good fit. And there's a couple of journalists who are now speculating quite hard that Mir might end up on that Aprilia, which would be a really interesting development if that were to happen. I think Rins is probably more likely to find himself on a Yamaha somewhere. But the whole situation with regards to the 
the RNF team and their status as a customer team really rather than a proper satellite works team or mini works team. That's a little bit up in the air. We don't know how that's going to go. Some suggestions that RNF are looking to run satellite Aprilia's next year. So perhaps both Rins and Mir could end up on Aprilia's in different teams. Who knows? The situation with Morbidelli is very unclear. Lynn Jarvis was quite strong in his appraisal of Morbidelli's performance or lack thereof after the Hareth race. And that's something that's been ongoing for most of this season. Now, we know he's still recovering from injury, but there's clearly something wrong there. So the Yamaha works team want to make a change and bring in a rider that's available now. And that forgets, of course, the availability potentially of top rack Razgati Oglu, who is going to be testing that bike, we know. And that's been reconfirmed in the last few days. So that's going to happen. So... Lots of stuff up in the air at the moment, and we'll just have to see how things go. So that's the only news item I really wanted to touch on. I could go on about it for hours. I'm personally extremely disappointed about it. I'm fairly well known to be a Suzuki MotoGP supporter. I've got a lot of time for me, and I personally follow Rins. And I'm just really sad to see them behaving like this and ultimately leaving the championship. I don't think there's any scenario where they are not going to leave the championship now. Normally, when manufacturers make a decision like that, it's a done deal. But for the board not to have let anybody know in advance of the news breaking is uh, appalling behaviour, really, and really casts a bad light on Suzuki. I think there'll be a fair bit of fan pushback on Suzuki for this one. And yeah, I just think the decision making is uh, all over the place. Again, you know, we have seen this before from Suzuki in particular. And it really begs the question what their long term future in any form of motorcycle racing is really because they don't have any kind of a presence to speak of in world superbikes. There are Suzuki's running in British superbikes, but they're not factory supported in any way. And I believe that's pretty much the case in Moto America as well. So perhaps this is the start of Suzuki withdrawing from the sporting stage, certainly in terms of road racing. I don't want to be too kind of catastrophically uh, pessimistic about all of this, but you do have to ask the questions really what Suzuki's long-term commitment motorsport is. And that's a real shocker for all of us that have enjoyed watching the bikes out on track in various forms and categories over the years. But we'll have to just wait and see what happens with that one. Again, like Kawasaki, motorcycle sales are a relatively small part of the overall organisations with these huge, great industrial Japanese firms. And things change, and we've already seen the emergence of the European factories in particular really becoming much, much stronger over the last 10 years. Maybe there's room in MotoGP for a, a Gas Gas or a Husqvarna, although they would be rebadged KTMs, really. And that's not necessarily something we want to see. And then obviously there's the question of BMW, who are another manufacturer that is very much toe in, toe out with regards to bike racing. Do well in certain categories, but really so far lack that killer instinct to really get in and get in hard and deep like we've seen from the likes of Ducati and Aprilia. So there we go. Those are my thoughts on the Suzuki situation at the moment. I'll be talking to Jim about it next week and we'll pick up on any particular listener feedback that we get on the Suzuki matter. But I'm sure most people will be feeling like I am and like Jim is, which is really just quite sad at the situation and whether this might be the start of some similar shenanigans from other factories, all of whom are going to be feeling the pinch from the last few years, as we all are, in various different ways. But let's just hope that this doesn't signal the start of, you know, one or two other manufacturers deciding that their dollars are better spent elsewhere. We'll see. But anyway, on a brighter note, we've got the Northwest 200 taking place in Northern Ireland this week. The first practice was yesterday. There are some races, I think, on Thursday, but the main race day is Saturday. So we'll report back on that next week briefly as well. Obviously, we just hope at this stage that everybody has a safe run out and that the weather is good, which is always the problem at the Northwest 200 because they don't run in the wet for obvious reasons. But uh, safe riding, everybody, and we'll look forward to seeing the results. 
Now, we were a little bit late with Hareth, but I do want to just have a quick uh, rundown on the main points of the weekend and any of the main themes that emerged from that. So having a quick look at qualifying, starting with Moto3, we had some pre-practice crashes for uh, Fallon and Josh Watley. So unfortunately, those guys were ruled out for the remainder of the weekend, which was unfortunate, but I think both of those guys will be fit and back for the races at Le Mans this weekend. Nothing major particularly to talk about from the qualification sessions. Diego Moreira was looking very good, seems to be coming on stronger as the year goes on. The main thing that I took away from it really was a nightmare weekend for Tatsuki Suzuki. Must be something to do with the name. He is just not getting on well in that Leopard squad, and they must be asking themselves questions as to why they let uh, Artigas go. Beyond that, it was a Gas Gas 1-2, Masia coming on strong as well now, so it kind of looks like those three guys, plus Dennis Foggia, of course, are going to be the main championship runners and riders. In MotoGP, QP1, we lost Paul Espargaro and Alex Rins, which was a bit of a shocker, and both of the KTMs were out in that first session as well, so KTM's woes and difficulties with regards to setup continue. Bit of a head scratcher that one in qp2 another crash for jorge martin something of a regular occurrence we also had a rare crash for joanne mir that really is a collector's item but ultimately the front row would consist of uh, peko banyai with an absolutely mega lap quattro in second and alicia spargo sticking that brilliant on the front row yet again Jumping on to Moto2 qualifying, major struggles continue for Nico Antonelli and Romano Fanati. And in fact, it's since emerged as another little piece of news that Fanati has been summarily booted out of the Boscoscura camp. I don't believe he'll be riding at Le Mans this weekend unless he's picked up a ride elsewhere. So we'll pick up on that next week. But yeah, poor old uh, Romano Fanati just doesn't seem to work out for him in Moto2, does it? Aaron Connett was performing miracles considering the injury that he sustained to his arm in Portimao just a week earlier. Well, less than a week in actual fact. So top marks to him for turning up and doing the job that he did. And we'll talk about that a little more when we come to the race. It was a great first poll for Ayagura, followed on by uh, Tony Arbolino in second and Lowe's in third. Just focusing in on a few of the people that we tend to talk about, it was a pretty poor day for Jake Dixon who crashed. Cam Bobier started off the weekend really strong, was uh, quite high up the timing sheets in the early free practice sessions, but just fell away as the weekend went on. So he had a poor qualifying session and Pedro Acosta was crashing again, as we tended to see. So just looking at those three guys in isolation, not the best of results. Moving on to race day, as always with Hareth, it was a dry, sunny, going to be a hot day really. So the Moto3 race, Garcia was away and into turn one first. Foggia initially was third, but he just started to fall back through the pack in a way that was really quite alarming. It was very much a typical Moto3 race really, it was a bit busy at the first few laps. Settled down into normal mayhem for the middle part of the race and as always it was all building up to the last couple of laps and in particular at uh, Hareth as we often see it's that very very final turn where you will find all of the action. But prior to that Suzuki went down on lap 8. I mean just doesn't seem to be working for him in that team does it? And you have to start asking whether or not he's going to be safe in that seat for the rest of the year. Not that things were necessarily much better on the other side of that garage, because by lap 11, Foggia was down to 14th, and his run of abysmal form at Hareth, I don't think he's ever scored a point in Hareth, I think I heard at some point of the weekend. 
a continuation of something that we saw in Portimao was that it was pretty much exclusively KTMs up at the front. With Foggia dropping back through, the lead Honda would actually become Scott Ogden for the Michael Laverty team. Even the likes of Andre Migno were further back. So is there something going on with Honda? That's something we're going to need to discuss uh, next week when Jim's back on the show. And it will be interesting to see how the Hondas in Moto3 fare this weekend at Le Mans. The racing in the front group was, as usual, absolutely epic. So we had the likes of Dennis Onchu, the two Gas Gas riders. Sasaki was in there, Masia and Artigas. But as I said, this was always going to be about the last corner. And poor old Dennis Onchu, he just cannot catch a break and get a podium, can he? He was very, very aggressive going into that final turn. And Garcia defended very, very heavily from him. But what neither of them really thought about was uh, Ethan Guevara, who took the most incredible wide sweeping line and just overtook both of them on the outside and went on to win the race. I mean, it was a stunning move and a stunning win. The end result of all that, well, you had Guevara with the win, as I say. Sergio Garcia was second. Yarmouth Massia was third. Onchu just missing out on the podium yet again. Artigas, Sasaki, Toba, Yamanaka, uh, Danny Holgado. Marrero would drop back a little bit towards the end there. Uh, Batelli Ogden was the first of the Hondas home, as discussed. And poor old Dennis Foggia slipped back to 18th. So no points scored for him, which is not really very good when you consider the other riders that are starting to come on strong now, and particularly this strange affliction that the Hondas seem to have suddenly developed so in terms of the championship, you've got Garcia in first place with 103. Then you have Foggia on 82 points, so he's 21 points back now. Guevara into third, Masia in fourth, and Dennis Onchu still very respectably in the top five. So we will expect more shenanigans and excitement as we go on to Le Mans, which always delivers a great Moto3 race. Next up is Moto2. There are two main features to the Moto2 race, really, and that was... Could Ayagura break his duck and almost remarkably get his first win in Grand Prix in any class since he arrived on the scene, which was a rather startling statistic, really. Uh, and also with Aaron Kinnett being quite badly injured, no doubt, but could he score some decent points and keep his championship charge alive? So Aguirre got himself into the lead quite early on and really at no stage that it looked like anybody was going to seriously offer him up a challenge. Canet and Arbolino did some dicing early on, but again, the race would drop into a fairly steady pattern with Canet in a relatively secure second place. It was really a question as to whether or not from a stamina, yeah, and I suppose a pain management point of view, could he hold on? The pool weekend continued really for Bobier, Dixon, Acosta went down on lap two, so his race hardly really got started. Fanati crashed out on lap five, so that was really the end of his Poscoscura adventure, at least for now. Even Sam Lowe's went down in a rather strange front-end crash, but he was pushing on, trying to defend, and yeah, just lost the front at the quite fast turn eight followed a couple of laps later by Chantra. So one by one, some of the top contenders were either not having good weekends or crashing out of the race. Jake Dixon would blot his copybook rather badly, in my opinion, on lap nine at the final turn 13, where he lost the front and took out the equally luckless Aldegar. Jake was busy remonstrating at Aldegar following the crash, but it was very difficult to see how it was anything other than a mistake by Jake, really. Race direction did look at it, and would actually conclude that there was no further action needed. So Jake Dixon won't have a penalty to serve at this weekend's Le Mans race. So some consistency shown there by race direction, which is pleasing. 
Although it was a bit of a crash fest, this was certainly not a classic Moto2 race. So in the end, it rounded out with Agura taking his first win. Aaron Kanet clinging on and scoring an unbelievably creditable second place. Tony Arbolino came in third. Fernandez was fourth. Schrotter fifth. Then we had Vietti. So scoring some reasonable points to keep himself fairly comfortable at the top of the table. Ben Schneider, Roberts, Arenas and Jorge Navarro rounding out the top 10 places. If we look at the championship in Moto2, we've got Vietti at the top on 100 points. Agura now on 81, so just 19 behind, so starting to close in. Arbolino is third and Canet is fourth, so they would appear to be the main championship contenders at this point. Although, as we often say, this is a very long championship. So moving on to MotoGP just quickly. Bagnari got the whole shot from pole straight out into the lead and were immediately looking very, very fast. You had Stefan Bradl and Jorge Martin going down, albeit separately, on the first lap. And you do have to start to ask one or two questions as regards Jorge Martin as to whether he's starting to just add a few question marks over his claim on Jack Miller's spot in the Works Ducati squad. Another point worth mentioning, certainly in the context of what I was talking about earlier on, was that from, I think, 15th place on the grid, Maverick Vinales did his customary go-backwards routine on the Aprilia and just didn't really recover from there. In the context of the Suzuki news that would break the next day, again, you have to question Vinales' position in that team and whether his future lies elsewhere, possibly even in a different racing category altogether. Bagnaia was out front. Quattraro was never far behind and was doing pretty much everything he could to reel Bagnaia in, but you never really felt like he was going to make the pass. I certainly thought that Quattraro was going to be the guy on the top step this weekend. I should have figured that Ducati historically are quite strong at Bereth, and Bagnaia seems to be hitting quite a rich run of form now that we're back in Europe, so there was a bit of a gap, and then you were back to Miller, Mark Marquez, Alicia Spragaro, Mir and Nakagami. Rins, who had had that very low grid slot, having not made it through uh, qualifying one, was making progress, but he had a runoff on lap nine, which would ultimately drop him back down to position 22. So overall, it was a pretty poor weekend for Suzuki, although things would get worse the next day, as we've discussed. KTM also not really anywhere in the races uh, at this event, unfortunately. A notable aspect towards the end of the race, well, that was the return of the Mark Marquez miracle save. He was busy having quite a ding-dong battle with Jack Miller and Alicia Spargo and going into that final turn again, the Jorge Lorenzo turn. Yeah, he kind of lost the front, I think it was, or he might have lost the front and the rear at the same time, but managed to get his knee down and save the bike. So somewhat back to the old antics of Mark Marquez from the past. That would, however, allow Alicia Spargo through into third place and he would then pull out a little bit of a gap to bring it home again customary late performance in terms of managing the rear tyre. The last notable bit of action, well, inevitably that would come from Mark Marquez, who pulled off a brilliant pass on Jack Miller, left a massive darkie on the track as, part <laughs> as he did it. But ultimately, the race would end with Bagnaia taking the win from Fabio Quattararo. Spargo, as we said, through to third. Mark Marquez getting Miller, so into fourth place. Miller fifth, and Joanne Mir bringing out the top six. In terms of the championship then, we've got Fabio Quattraro in first place on 89 points, followed by Alicia Spargo, not very far back on 82. Bastianini, he's still there on 69 points, tied with Alex Rins, who is in fourth. And Bagnaia starting to creep his way up the table, 56 points in fifth place. And then Joan Mir in sixth on 56 points as well. Yeah, still pretty tight at the top of the table and definitely all to play for. 
going forward into Le Mans this weekend. Well, the first noteworthy point is that the weather forecast is looking unseasonably good at Le Mans. This tends to be the track where we see quite cold conditions at this time of year, and more often than not, at various points through the weekend, wet weather. I think there are potentially some showers forecast for Sunday, but in terms of ambient temperatures and running on Friday and Saturday, it's going to be quite hot and sunny by the looks of it. In that part of France at this time of year, if it's hot and humid like this, you can quite often get some thunderstorms. So a little bit hard to predict on the last few times we've been to Le Mans, which have been fairly cold, wet and dull affairs. We might not see the crash fest that we generally see up at Turn 1 and Turn 2 this year because of the track temperature being higher, but you just never know. The track does tend to produce pretty good races, I think. It's a bit of a nightmare if you go there as a spectator, as I did one year, to call it anarchic. Not quite doing it justice. Anyway, I will very much look forward to watching the races this weekend, as I'm sure all of you guys and girls will do as well. I'll be back next week. I'm pretty sure Jim will be back on duty next week, so we'll look forward to reviewing the races, catching up on the news and the continuing emergence of the news on the Suzuki front. We'll also have a quick chat about the results from the Northwest 200. There isn't any domestic racing going on, I don't think. There's certainly no BSB this weekend because quite a number of the riders who uh, feature in BSB are taking part in the Northwest 200. Not sure about Moto America. I'll have to do a double check on that. There is certainly some stuff regarding Moto America at the Road Atlanta round that I want to talk to Jim about in terms of Danilo Petrucci's comments and behaviour. That set some tongues wagging and put a few people's heckles up. So it'll be good to get into the weeds on that one. No World Superbike this weekend. The World Supers are going to be out in a couple of weeks at Estoril. And of course, we're going to start thinking towards the build-up towards the TT races, which are back with us this year, I'm happy to report. Something that people might want to have a look into is that, as we've mentioned previously on the show, this year's TT races are going to be live streamed for the first time ever. And I'm fairly sure if you search this online, the premium full access for the entire event package of live streaming is being sold at a very remarkable price of £14.99. So that's something I will be investing in. So yeah, we will very much look forward to a much expanded coverage of the TT this year. So despite the COVID delays, the organisers have been very busy working on the event, working on the coverage and making sure that when it comes back this year, it's the best it's ever been. So very much looking forward to that. With all of that being said, I'm sorry you've had to listen to me droning on on my own. It's not really the format of the show that we tend to follow, but we just didn't want to leave a complete gap between Jerez and this week's races at Le Mans. So hopefully that's been useful and enjoyable for people. We will definitely look forward to speaking to you next week and reviewing the races this weekend. So all that remains to say is stay safe, ride safe, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers, guys. Bye for now.
Thank you.